you're very welcome along to the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. On this Saturday morning, the end of March, good morning, Porak. Good morning, Deirdre. How, How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. We have a fairly jam-packed programme today. Lots of different things to uh, look forward to. I suppose we're kind of thinking... We're only like seven days away, really. Eight days away, somebody will correct me, from Easter. We are, the so Easter weekend. Starting weekend. to uh, think about Easter and uh, people on holidays from school. Mm. But we're going to start by talking about the lawns this morning. Yeah, well, well, this weekend, and I suppose we're, we're banging the time of year where people are cutting the lawns and tidying up the grass. And it's funny, when you cut the grass, it kind of... Kind of sets the garden, doesn't it? Tidies it does. up the garden. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, I did it on Sunday last. Oh, I was yeah. delighted because it was a bit damp, I suppose, uh, during the week here and there. So uh, You took advantage got, of the yeah, good weather. and it's actually, do you know what? It just transformed it, even though I didn't do a whole lot other than cut it now. This, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, the treatments are coming. But it did, it looked great. I yeah. was like, oh, and it's, it's amazing when you, when, you, yeah. when you just tidy up the grass. And, and as we always say, like it, it helps to kind of I suppose, kickstart the season and get the grass growing. But this weekend in our centres in Galway and Sligo and Castlebar, we have a lawn care weekend. So if people want some advice, particularly if they're sowing new lots um, and they want advice on the type of seed to use, because there's various different types of seeds depending on whether you're on a slope, sloping lawn or you want something very tough and hard-wearing or mm. something very fine for maybe putting the golf ball. There's all sorts of different types of seeds to suit. So it's important in picking the type of seed to suit the location or if it's shaded area maybe to you know pick a variety of seed so we have Mr Osmo's down for today he's Very down good. at our centre in Turlock so if people want advice on controlling moss in the lawn which again is is a is a big feature again this spring and just how to any any kind of hints and tips on either sowing a new lawn or taking care of existing lawn or if, or if you've got some persistent weeds that are you find them difficult to eradicate you know, bring a sample of them down and, and uh, we'll identify them and, and give you something appropriate to use. So that's this weekend, particularly today in, in Turlock and Castlebar, um, come down and talk. I'll be there for, for today as well if people want to come down. If they're general gardening questions, you can certainly bring those down as well. But we're putting a focus around the lawn care in particular. And even with this sort of wet weather we're having mm. over the weekend, you can still apply treatments like Osmo or some of the moss care treatments because they, if anything, they need a bit of moisture to wash them in and to get them kick-started right. and working. Yeah, because that's quite an important point, I suppose. A lot of times, uh, and we, we just tend to think, oh, if, if it's raining, it won't work. Yeah. But in actual point of fact, it's probably really better. Well, particularly for, for, for any feeds or any moss controls, ideally, yeah, if you have a bit of moisture and certainly in the next day or so we're going to get plenty of showers. The other thing you mentioned Easter, so Easter is the children are off on holidays for the next two weeks so we decided to put on a a pet farm we always do it around Easter so that's a free pet farm Um, one of our guys in in Turlock, Jason he's fantastic at, uh, he's a real hobbyist when it comes to unusual animals so he's got things like uh, pygmy goats, Wow. he's got beautiful pot belly uh, piglets in the the garden centre at the moment Um, um, he's got a Pekin, Pekin duck, which is a huge duck, very right. multicoloured duck. He's got speckled hens, which he tells me uh, produce speckled eggs. Oh, wow. And so he's got lots of, he's got the Egyptian hedgehog, which we've talked about before in the programme. So if people want, uh, want to kill an hour, 
bring the kids down from today right through for the next two weeks. The pet farm is there right at the back of the garden centre in the plant centre. It's free. Just come down, have a walk through. Jason and the team will be there to talk to people. But some really unusual chick, you know, day old chicks, oh, uh, small dogs, all of those sort of things. Sounds very, very festive real, for Easter and very cute. Yeah, a real touch of Easter. And an unusual thing he has, which um, I thought was something different. And we were always talking about the black millipedes, I think, last week. Mm. But he's got a giant African millipede. It's one of these little pet pets. Right. And uh, one of these really dark, black, huge millipedes. So again, if people want to see what a millipede looks like, okay, pop and be, down. And, and be thankful that they're not climbing the walls of your own house, Exactly, probably. exactly. Well, this is just an unusual one. So look, at that's it's in Turlock uh, starting today. It's a pet farm. It's to celebrate Easter. And uh, in particular, there's lots of kind of cute and cuddly farm pets there to be, to be seen. And Jason is, is terrific at advising people just on on um, you know the whole animals and pet department and all of that he's very very good the other thing I thought we might feature today is is a little bit on kids gardening because it's something we, we tend to neglect and it is a, a time of year as I said I think to you before that you know they, they say that the, the child that grows strawberries eats strawberries or the child that grows tomatoes eats tomatoes yes. and you know I suppose it's encouraging children to get involved in gardening and in particularly in plants that they can eat themselves or maybe taste themselves or just experience. And at this time of year, there's lots of interesting plants that children can grow and that are easy to grow and parents can get involved in. And I'm thinking, you know, straight away, plants like sunflowers, which children just love. The seeds of sunflowers are very large. There's a pack of, of a lovely variety uh, called ginger nut. Oh. And it's it's in the colour of a ginger nut. It's kind of a very deep orange. Oh, that's orange. A very, uh, that's not your, I suppose, the traditional looking sunflower. No. It's really interesting looking. It's a fully double yeah. variety. Uh, big, big heads of flower. And that plant will grow five, six feet in height. You sow it from seed this time of year. And the seed are quite large with sunflowers. So for children in particular, they're very, very easy to sow. Now you sow them indoors. Yeah. And again, indoors at the moment the temperatures are really really warm so within about seven days the seeds have germinated so by Easter weekend the children are already seeing the young seedlings and sunflowers grow so rapidly yes. by the end of April they're going to be a foot high and ready for planting out then into the garden and plant them in a summer in a sunny location those sunflowers will come into flower in July early August flower right through till November as you know yes and then they set their seed and the seed is loved by garden birds. So you can actually leave the sunflowers standing proud through the winter period for the birds to come and feed off them. So it's a real, I suppose, the cycle of life, nature at its best and children being involved in the sowing of the seeds now right through to the feeding of the birds in, in the October, autumn, November yeah. and December. So another lovely variety is called oranges and lemons. So it's more the traditional... The more, okay, so this has kind of got the, the yellow foliage and the brown face, so, as I call it. Yeah, yeah, and it's also got an orange variety as well, which is something dip, different. But there's loads of sunflower varieties, but it's a great time of year to sow them. And I think particularly for children, they're such an easy seed to sow. So all you want is a small pot of compost, buy yourself a pack of seed, it'll cost you a couple of euro, you'll have 40 or 50 seeds in the pack, and you can get the whole family involved in it. And maybe for, well, again, the schools are off, but maybe even after when the schools go yeah. back after Easter, it's something that, that the teachers can get involved in. Halloween, it's hard to think it's it's whatever months away. But <laughs> Where are you going? <clears throat> the pumpkin is always associated with Halloween. And I think children in particular are lovely, lovely to carve their oh, own yeah. pumpkin. So it's this time of year that we actually sow the seed of pumpkin. And a bit like sunflowers, they're very, very large seed. They're very simple to sow. Um, and again, you sow them indoors 
and the plants will be ready for planting out around the first week of May. And again, they're actually very simple to grow. You also need to pollinate when the pumpkin flowers come into uh, flower in June and July. You need to go around with a little brush and it's a great way of teaching children about pollination, the pollination of plants and, and why uh, plants need to be pollinated. Uh, but two nice varieties. There's one here called Invincible, which is a very unusual variety. It's got blue skin. Oh, wow. And I thought for Halloween it would be kind of dark and spooky and something different. So it's got the orange centre and orange flesh of a traditional <laughs> pumpkin, but it's got beautiful blue uh, or greyish blue skin to it. And each of those plants will produce about two to three large pumpkins. So from a packet of seeds you'll get certainly a dozen plants and from those plants you'll get up to two <coughs> pumpkins each. So again, a very simple and easy plant to grow, the pumpkin. And another ver very good variety, if you want to grow a really, really big one, there's a variety called Atlantic Giant which produces enormous... Yeah, okay, so we're talking kind of two ends of the spectrum here really. Yes. Um, the blue one does look rather extraordinary because uh, on the front of the seeds you know, it is very blue on the outside and then obviously the contrast when you cut into the flesh, exactly. uh, you can really see See the yellow, the yeah, the orange, yeah. And then the giant pumpkin is like something, uh, it's almost like the pumpkin in the Cinderella story. It is, it's yeah. got that huge pumpkin. And again, yeah. just again, something for children, a little project for them to grow them during the summer months and then harvest them in October, cut them up as, as you traditionally would. And again, it's just, this is the time of year rather than thinking you know, in, in midsummer. Yeah, when, oh, yeah. yeah now is the time to sow the seed. But there's lots of other plants like, um, you know, getting children maybe to grow things like runner beans, going back to Jack and the Beanstalk story and the, the growing of the, the runner beans. And again, runner beans are a very large seed, a huge seed, um, very, very easy to sow. And again, you sow them indoors for planting out again at the beginning of May to grow on. And they grow so fast. Runner beans will grow anything up to eight, maybe even 10 feet in height in one year. So literally the children can nearly see them growing. And there's lots of really good varieties. This is one called Summer Medley, which has a medley of flower colours. So it's got uh, lovely whites, shades of reds and oranges in the one uh, collection. And again, they'll produce uh, edible runner beans by August, September wow, of, of this year. Excellent. So that's something different. Again, something new or something unusual for children to maybe to grow. And also things like the climbing beans, the French beans that can be sown. And again, there's a, a nice variety from Thompson & Morgan. It's a mixed collection of purple beans, uh, white beans and green beans which again give a nice contrast to colours and again it's just educating children where their food comes, comes from, from yeah. and then just simply going back to the flowers if you wanted something scented maybe this grow from, for your mum or, or to grow for somebody there's two nice plants three nice plants yes, actually yep, yeah. don't forget that one there's first of all starting off with um, a, a plant that actually uh, produces its scent at night time and this is one that anybody can grow it's a variety of stock called night scented stock and it's got fantastic fragrance in the evening time so as the temperature during the summer cools down it starts to release its scent so it's a lovely plant to sow close to a windowsill close to the house somewhere, close to a pathway that you might be walking in the evening. Um, it's actually a variety of stock that you can sow out of doors. So you don't need to start it. You can, if you wish, start it indoors and grow it on. But it's a, a hardy annual, which means it can be actually sown directly out into the garden soil. So if you've got a bit of spare ground or mm. a pot outside a windowsill, that's worth trying. Sounds that's lovely. stock, midnight or uh, night scented Scent stock, stock and a very, very easy, easy variety to, go, to grow. And also another nice variety for children 
is Virginia stock, which again is scented. And again, it's a mixture of various colours, which, which is quite a nice plant. And again, you can sow it out of doors. So the seed is it's very easy to sow at this time of year. And look at the growing of seed. It's cheap. It's fun. It's You've got the perfect conditions indoors. And many of the varieties like the night scented stock, like the Virginia stock, like English marigolds can be sown directly out into the garden soil. The kids can see them growing. Um, lastly, the, the other nice plant I just, when I was rummaging through the... Um, seed stacks in, in the garden centre a nice variety of, of seeds that a variety called sweet rocket it's an old cottage garden plant um, it's the proper name for it is Hesperus um, but it's a variety of fast growing plant again you can sow it from seed directly out of doors it's got fantastic scent huge amount of flower loved by bees and pollinating insects uh, but also a very nice plant to maybe grow on your herbaceous border flower border um, again easy to sow from mm-hmm. seed now and a plant that will last a couple of years and tends to serve seed as well it's one of those plants that the seed will drop and it'll kind of start off itself again. And you're saying uh, really fragrant. Beautiful. Called sweet rocket and it's it, because the scent of the plant is very, very sweet. It's a real sugary, sweet scent. Um, quite a nice variety. That's the pink variety. It comes in white as well. Um, and a very simple plant. Again, if you wanted something kind of to fill up a border yeah. or... Um, and you know, I, I don't know how many pack seeds is in that pack. It probably says in the back, but there's probably a hundred at least. Average seeds, five hundred. There you go. <laughs> so five hundred seeds in the pack. You just literally cast them across the soil, and they'll germinate and yes. grow on. So it's a really simple way. But there's lots of other nasturtiums that kids could grow as well. Um, even some of the salad crops, lamb's lettuce, are brought in, which again can be sown at this time of year. Very nice um, edible plant. It it resembles lettuce. Very soft leaves, quite a nice plant to grow. And any of the wildflowers as well, again for kind of encouraging insect life into the garden, they can be sown from seed out of doors now. All of them are frost hardy and you get that kind of wildflower meadow uh, mix. So again, if you had a, maybe a patch in the garden that you could give over to the kids, yes. they could try. That's a collection of, of different, different. there's five or six different, it's the wildflower collection from Thompson & Morgan. It's got uh, six different varieties of seed in it, all specifically selected to encourage the wildlife like butterflies into the garden during the summer period. Excellent. Well, there's great lots Have I of given options. you enough to do? I think loads of options Also there. things like strawberries, you know, mm. the strawberry plants are available at the moment. Again, kids could plant them up in window boxes or pots. They'll grow in an old shoe if you want. Anything at all with a bit of compost, um, plant them up um, and they'll fruit this summer for the children. So if you plant them now this weekend or over the next week, they'll come into flower in May and June and fruit from July onwards. Um, so, you know, that's quite a nice thing too. Maybe some sweet pea grow some sweet pea for your mam. Again, plant the plants now out of doors and you get lots of, of cut flowers then for, for, for midsummer. Summer. Even tomato plants, for children, they're very easy to grow with tomatoes. So again, by planting them at this time of year, they're going to get fruit in June, July and August. So again, they're getting a quick reward. They're not waiting yeah. for months and months for something. And, and as I said, if, if people are maybe sometimes struggling with uh, introducing or getting younger people to, to eat, eat some of, Absolutely. That, of those items, it's a uh, great that can way. be a great way of encouraging or at least, you know, showing them the whole well, that's process. that's it. The child that grows a tomato eats a tomato. <laughs> that's the theory anyway. <laughs> Let us know whether it works. put it to the test. Absolutely. Right, we're going to take a quick break. We've got a few questions in already, um, so keep them coming to us. It's 87 4141 if you're texting with thanks to C and C Cellular and Teresa is taking calls this morning as usual on 0818 3055 
you're very welcome back. No, okay, Porik, we had uh, questions in from all sides this week. Okay. We're going to deal with posted questions, all right, first okay. of all, yeah, by mail. Um, so uh, we've got a listener in Castlebar who's got two questions for you. Uh, first of all, potatoes. They set potatoes in the pe- in the proper way, bags with good compost and used the sea mongus. They had stalks three foot high, but no potatoes what do they do wrong? Mm, it's unusual. It's unusual when the stalks are so high. Um, look at the, the main thing with growing potatoes. They do actually very well in containers, in pots. In Now, you need something that's going to be at least 18 inches to maybe two foot deep as a container. Mm. Um, good quality compost is fine. The Seamongus is perfect or any granulated fertiliser. The other thing that potatoes need, particularly as we go into late June, July, is copious amounts of water. So as the potatoes are um, forming, they need to be kept irrigated nearly every second day when they're in containers. And regular washing, that's the time of year when the the, the, the potatoes are beginning to form and, and actually bulk up the actual uh, tubers themselves. Mm. So my guess is they weren't watered enough um, and maybe the containers might have been a little bit shallow. So look, at this is the time of year to start planting up potatoes. Remember that you need a container that's at least a foot and a half to two feet deep of soil. And when you're planting the potatoes, I normally, if I'm growing them in tubs, is to put two layers of tubers in. So in an empty pot, put six inches of compost in, put about three tubers in, another layer of compost, mix some of the seamongus through that, another layer of tubers. So you have two two layers of tubers with a six inch layer of compost between them. And again, at least have the last layer covered by at least six inches of compost. Um, They're going to grow very fast, but the the key thing then in, in early summer is to water them well and feed them well with a liquid feed. So you could li- use liquid one and that helps to bulk up the, the tubers. And if that's done, you'll get 100% success. I would start with early varieties. So Duke of York, Sharps Express, Orla, Colleen, any of those. They're very successful in containers. And look, just give it another go. Yeah, I, I think they actually set them, sorry, now reading it again, in the proper vegetable bags, but maybe it's a case that sometimes they're not deep enough, would that be? Well, no, if they use the proper bags, that's yeah. fine, because generally the bags are actually about they at least two feet high. Yeah. Just watch the watering with them and watch the feeding, because naturally enough, in a container, and particularly as they're beginning, beginning to form, they use they dry out extremely fast. So you're literally watering them every second day. But look, you give them another go. This is the time of year to get potatoes into into pots, containers and into the garden soil. Lovely. And the second question is, the slug or whatever it is attacks potatoes in the ground. It's black, about a half an inch long. Now, it's not a wireworm, they say. Mm. And this slug or whatever, it even attacks uh, the early potatoes. What should they use? Well, the, that's the black slug, which is right. notorious. It's a small black slug that, that actually is under the soil. Uh, he lives in the soil and feeds on the tubers of potatoes. The best variety that you'll find that's slug resistant is one called Kestrel. I think I mentioned it before a couple of weeks back. So try that. That's a, a particularly good variety. Uh, unfortunately, there's none of the pellets or none of the normal slug treatments that, that are effective on the, so, on the... It's because it's soil Because based. it's soil based. He's beneath the soil 18 inches, 2 feet deep and feeding on the tuber. So try the uh, a variety called Kestrel which is very good. It's a slug-resistant variety and you'll f- far, have far better success with that. 
Okay, can we transplant carrots and beetroot now, asks Dominic. Well, carrots don't transplant. I mean, that's the, the problem with them. You need to sow them very thinly uh, when starting off. And um, when you're thinning them, the, you know, the, the thinnings are really just dumped because they, they don't transplant. You're actually bra- breaking the taproot. So the answer to that is no. Beetroot would be a little bit more successful, but again, you're better. Beetroot seed is quite large, so it's easy enough to, to kind of spread the seed uh, when you're sowing it uh, fairly thinly carrot seed can be a little bit more difficult and is often better mixed with a little bit of sand or perlite when you're sowing it just to, to kind of spread it out a little bit more but with both of those I wouldn't be transplanting them no you're not going to get success with them it's a good you know if if, if he has them at the stage where they're ready for transplant or, or you know that's kind mm. of size for transplanting maybe sow some fresh seed now again so you're keeping the crop, the crop yeah keeping a succession going now, Porik, would like some scented roses to flower this year if uh, available. What types would you be able to recommend that are good for scent and how do you plant them, please? This they, this person describes themselves as a newbie. Okay, well, <laughs> well, it's a good choice to start with because the great thing about roses is that if you plant them now, they're going to flower this year. So they do come into flower in their first year after planting. Scented varieties, probably two really nice ones. There's a lovely variety called Sheila's Perfume. As the name Ooh. suggests, it's a it's a scented variety. Sheila, from memory, I, I believe the the uh, breeder named it after his wife. Uh, so Sheila's perfume. It's a quite a nice. It's a two tone variety. Um, it's from memory. It's it's kind of orange and yellow. It's that kind of a two toned, uh, floribunda variety. So it repeats flowering all summer long. Really nice one. That's Sheila's perfume. Another nice one is one called Arthur Bell. It's an old McGreedy rose. It's yellow. So in bud, it's kind of nearly red and yellow. And then as it opens, it opens to a kind of a butter yellow. Oh. Uh, very nice variety. It grows to about two and a half feet, three feet. Um, and, you know, it's probably uh, it's probably 100 years old now, Arthur Bell. It's a real old uh, variety. Yeah. So they're truly highly scented. Um, the, you often also have the David Austin roses yes, yes. and they're more the old fashioned type roses with big big blousy double flowers and they come in a scented collection so look for those in your local garden centre the David Austin scented collection and they come in a whole range of different colours and they're particularly nice it, 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 they resemble the old cottage garden flowers um, and they're quite nice so any of those any of those and certainly this time of year in terms of planting them prepare the soil well because roses are hungry feeders so put in some colour boost fertiliser or some organic matter when planting space them normally about three feet apart and roses tend to look better if you plant them in groups of maybe fives or sevens of the one type right. create a kind of a cluster effect and that's it really a little bit of um, rose clear or rose rescue during the growing season will help to keep them free of pests and diseases and you feed roses once a month with a high potash feed. So you use a rose feed or colour boost or something with plenty of potash in it. That'll help to induce the flowering early and it'll get them flowering longer. Okay, and it keeps the the colours good and vibrant. Exactly. And if you do those things, feed once a month, generally spray once a month, that keeps them in tip-top condition. Now, Mary has two spirea shrubs. They have not flowered this year. She's wondering, would you have any idea what the cause might be? Well, it's a little early. This spirea come in, in a couple of different forms. There's the bridal wreath, which is spirea arguta, which is only coming into flower now and will flower normally about the middle of April onwards. Mm-hmm. And spring flowering plants are a tad late this year because it has been a reasonably cold spring, certainly in the last four weeks. Um, so don't give up on it yet. Um, that's spirea arguta, the bridal wreath. Um, it often won't flower if it's been pruned if they prune it too late in the season say they prune it in September or during the winter period obviously you're cutting out 
the flowers that it's going to bear this spring. So if it was pruned late in the last autumn winter period, mm-hmm. obviously you've cut back some of the flowers that, that it's going to bear this year. But I would just say it's probably a, a tad early and just keep an eye on that spirea. It should come into flower yet. Okay, cause you know, They're what? very reliable. They're easy growing and, and they tend to flower reliably every year. Now, a number of uh, moss questions and I know you have the lawn care weekend going yeah. on this weekend. Uh, very timely based on what's coming into us here. So we'll just try and kind of bundle some of these together. Okay. Um, moss being obviously the biggest issue. Um, so this listener did a lawn, did a pH reading on the lawn to alkaline it said. So they put Osmo and Lime on last October um, but the lawn is currently full of moss so they're wondering might they have gone wrong somewhere. Well if, you, if your lawn is, is high alkaline, it's high in lime anyway and there's no there's no need to actually put the lime on. You just need to put the Osmo on on its own. So if you've got, if you're in an area with, with a high lime content um, you know, with, with, where lime stone is, is present yes. and, and the lime is you know that the lime level is high or you've tested it and it's got a high lime generally speaking moss is a problem more of a problem on acid soils okay. where you have a low pH um, or a boggy type soil now that's not to say it'll still grow it'll uh, still grow in <laughs> alkaline areas because it'll grow literally on limestone walls yeah. as well but where you have high lime you don't need to actually um put more lime on yeah. and and if anything it, 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 it where you've very high lime it can work against the osmo to a certain okay. extent what I would do to be honest now is apply the, the osmo treatment again um, make sure that it goes on osmo a bag of osmo covers 200 square yards and it, so it goes on relatively heavy if you put it on too thinly it won't it'll work. work it'll feed the lawn certainly but it's not going to control the moss so it's very important to apply it over the specific so measure the lawn right. and make sure you put on the right um, application but now is the time really to you can apply it in the autumn but coming into spring now moss is very prevalent pre- oh, pre- everywhere and really now is the time to tackle it okay great um, okay I know we had another one there but I'll come back to that as a listener has a camellia for 10 years it never flowers it suffered during the two bad winters of 09 and 10 but is doing very well now but they're wondering is it ever actually likely to flower oh it will I mean you won't get a stage where a camellia you know just won't flower um, it, the flower buds if it is going to bloom this year it, it should already be in flower the flower buds should be certainly present and they're very evident because they're quite large and rounded fat buds that you'll see on the plant they tend to be on the older growth the key with with camellias is is how well they flower in the spring is determined by how well you look after them the previous summer so you, the trick with camellias is to feed them from once they go out of flower in may right through until September and you're building the plant up and you're helping it to flower. And there's a specific feed that we use on camellias called ericaceous feed. It comes in a liquid form or a granulated form and especially formulated for the likes of camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, forest flames, all of those plants that like an ericaceous type soil. And the other thing with camellias is they will tolerate shade but they don't like heavy shade. So they're the sort of plant that will grow in east or west facing walls but not necessarily in north facing. They're, they tend, if there's too heavy a shade, again, it reduces the amount of flower that comes right. on the plant. So slight shade is good for them. Um, and really, you know, depending on where the listener has it, if it's in a pot, again, just make sure that it's it's got plenty of space. Repot them generally every two years with using ericaceous compost. Um, so really, if there's no flower buds present at the moment, it's not going to flower this spring. But do look after it from May through to September with an ericaceous feed, and that helps to induce it into flowering the following year. 
Great. Um, Good time to plant them actually as well, camellias. camellias. This is the time of year. They're coming into flowers. It's actually a nice time to select them in the garden centres to see the colours because there's beautiful reds and, and some with two-tone colours. Yeah, and, and we, uh, had, we had one or two in here for uh, the, in advance of Mother's Day. There we was had. The Commander Mulroy, is That's that? right. Your memory's good. Yeah, <laughs> that has got the lovely two-toned colours. So yeah. there's a whole range of, of varieties available at the moment. It would be a great time to put them into the garden to plant them. Now, Herbs. A listener loves cooking for their family and finds herbs they buy in the shop hard to keep alive. Is there an easier way to grow herbs? They're interested in tarragon, parsley, chives and mint. Well, you were telling me earlier how you grow them. <laughs> well, I, I don't have... Yeah, I, I grow them by not passing any heat on them and lo and behold, they're flying in pots all the time. And that's what they... Um, and there's parsley and chives in mine and mint, I know for a fact, you don't have to do anything with no. it whatsoever. It's no. just... Uh, don't look at it. Don't look at yeah. it. Just don't put it in the ground do yeah. anything else. Um, tarragon, I don't have it. My mum has it. She grows that quite successfully. I don't think. Yeah, and all of those are, are easy yeah. to grow. The, the trouble when you, well, it's not the trouble, but the the, the when you buy um, herbs in in uh, supermarkets, sometimes they're they're coming straight out of a greenhouse where they've been forced on. So you're thinking of basil, you know, and it's a foot high when you yeah. buy it. Of course, you bring it into a, a different environment, into the indoor house area, and it's just not going to get the same conditions it had in a greenhouse with perfect growing conditions. What I would suggest is you look for look for herbs that have been growing out of doors for the winter. So most garden centres will have a collection of herbs that have literally, literally been outside all winter long. So they're tough, they're hardy, they've been used to the frost and the cold, and they're very easy to grow. And herbs, most herbs, apart from basil, will grow out of doors quite happily. So all the varieties the listener mentioned, mint, parsley, chives, oregano, any of those uh, winter hardy varieties, mm. go into your local garden centre, you'll get good strong plants now, put them into a window box or a pot or container or plant them out into the garden soil. The key thing they need is free drainage and they need a sunny location. So hence, they actually tend to thrive on neglect. Yeah. Because if they dry out an odd time, all the better. Oh, if yeah. anything, the flavours are more intense right. if you actually hold back on the watering because they're not growing as vigorously and as soft. So you tend, to, if they're short and bushy and, and uh, compact, the flavours tend to be a whole lot better. So they're perfect in window box containers, uh, pots, raised beds, out in the garden soil where you add sand or grit. Yeah. So that kind of environment, they do extremely well. And now is the time of year to start planting them up and potting them and you know if you pot up a container of kitchen herbs now you'll be using them in two weeks and you'll use them the whole summer long Um, Apple trees apple trees when the apples start to grow they're just falling off Owen wonders what will be the problem well the key thing with with apple trees first and foremost you need to have different varieties flowering at the same time to get good cross pollination that's that's a I suppose a key fundamental factor with with um, apples Um, the other thing that I find with them is that they need a high potash feed regime. So during the growing season, sulfur potash on its own, particularly if they're established trees, is very good. Or rose fertilizer helps to build strength and vigor into the plants and it helps to stop them aborting fruit. Now, there is a natural, uh, what we call June drop. In the middle of June, apple trees and fruit trees abort about 30 or 40 or often 50% of the fruitlets. And that's just a natural phenomenon because the plant knows itself. It can't it's overproducing. It's overproducing, in advance, yeah. Right. Particularly okay. after a good flowering year where it flowers heavily, where the bees have pollinated the, the blooms, and you've got big clusters of small fruitlets, the tree will abort 
anything up and we call that June drop and you're literally in the middle of June see loads of little fruitlets around the base of the tree and people tend to panic yeah. because they think there's something wrong. So that's just a natural phenomenon. But going back to the listener, if all the... Um, if all the fruitlets are forming, check that first of all you've got enough of a mixture of varieties. You need a minimum of three different varieties flowering at the same time. And the second thing you'll find, if you use potash, it'll help to stop the, the fruitlets aborting early or dropping early and you just build more vigour in the trees. They tend to be more disease resistant as well. Great. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We still have lots more to come though. You're very welcome back. For uh, a uh, fairly detailed question here, I hope I'm going to pronounce all these correctly now in advance. Apologies if I don't. Um, good morning to Bridie, who has got a question about shrubs. Um, first of all, she's giving us an idea of location. She's in Ackle, right on the coast, very little shelter. Last week after listening to the programme, she bought two Cuba Japonica variegata for shrubs outside okay. the house. However, since then, she's been told that it's not suitable for where she lives. And she wants to know before buying any more if this is the case. Now, she'd also like to vary it up a bit with a mixture of plants. Could you suggest other plants that will suit the tough conditions she's located in? She doesn't, or would, she's wondering would the Iliagnia sabengii be suitable? Doesn't want something that will grow out of control with little maintenance. She wants little maintenance as a holiday home. So. Okay. All right. Well, that makes Let's, sense. And, and the plant we mentioned last week, Cuba japonica, I think it was in, in relation to a shade a question on shade. People were looking for a, a hedge for shade, which is a great plant. But in a seaside location, it's going to get battered and bet because the poor old Cuba japonica has large variegated leaves, which are very prone to the wind. So the other plant she mentioned, Iliagnus abengii, is one of the best seaside uh, hedging plants to, to, to grow because, first of all, it's evergreen. You can maintain it to whatever height you want. It's not terribly vigorous, so it's never going to get out of bounds. And uh, it's got silver, hairy foliage, which the salt won't stick to. Right. So the salt doesn't damage Iliagnus um, to the same, you know, to any the, the same extent as it does to other plants. So as a primary shelter and a primary boundary, it's probably the best plant really for coastal areas. And it's also frost hardy, so it, it kind of ticks all the boxes. So that certainly. And, and really, in a seaside location, you've got to start with the boundary shelter. Providing shelter is the key ingredient. And once you do that, then you can grow plants like a Cuba japonica or spotted laurels or whatever. So I would stick predominantly to getting the shelter done first, and Iliagnus will be the, an excellent choice. It will take a number of years to get up to maybe yes. five or six feet to provide good shelter. So that's going to take time. You could also consider plants, seaside plants, like hydrangeas, which do very well in coastal areas, formium, New Zealand flax, which come, which come in a whole range of different colours and again can also be used, particularly the more vigorous varieties, as a primary boundary in, in coastal areas. Um, other plants like fuchsia does, mm. does really well. Um, rock roses, the cistus family, do very well in coastal areas. So really consider... First of all, the primary boundary is, is the essential ingredient because once you provide that, then you open a whole range of different plants that you can start to, to plant. So I would focus on that area and the cubage ponica is not suitable for that, for an exposed open area. It's fine in a reasonably sheltered garden as a shade-loving plant or as a shade hedge super plant for that, right. but not in a coastal area. It'll just be hammered uh, over the over the, the spring and summer period. So get the Iliagnus in, get them established and then it opens up a whole myriad of plants that you can grow after that and in the sh next couple of years focus on more seaside uh, plants that are 
you know, look at what the neighbours are growing yeah, in the and, area. And, and succe- what's growing successfully. successfully. And you'll find those sort of mallows, the lavateria does very well in Ackel, hydrangeas, formiums, um, the rock roses that I mentioned, hebe family tend to do very well. So kind of stick to plants that are tried and tested and build up the shelter initially. And that then, once you've got that, it opens up a whole range of other plants that you can consider. Lovely. Now, here's two plants that definitely I probably shouldn't be considered. Some lemon trees, they're indoor ones though, okay. Park. Uh, so a listener has, Adrian, good morning to you. Uh, Adrian has two of them. Um, they've gone very dry. They've put water on them. Uh, wondering, would they need to plant them into large pots? And also, what's the best feed to use? Well, not too big a pots. Lemons like to be in a relatively um, sandy natured soil, free draining soil and they don't like to be in too large pots you know, some plants love plenty of space but lemons are the sort of plants that you would repot every two to three years they do very well in, in terracotta pots and use a soil based compost so something like a John Ennis based compost is very good for lemon trees. Um, they can be put out during the summer months if you wish you know, say from late May, early June through till September mm. and then brought back in and they often do very well it helps to kind of ripen the wood, particularly a nice summer like we had last year. The other thing to feed them with is there's a specific feed for lemons called citrus fertilizer. So it's used on oranges and lemons and anything in the citrus family. And you get that in your local garden centre as well. And that should be applied from now during the growing season right through till September of, of next year. So by all means repot, but use a soil-based compost like John Ennis. Use a terracotta style pot and uh, put the plant out of doors from about the middle of May, whenever the weather really warms up and we've got nice sunny days in a, in a good south facing area and liquid feed it about every fortnight with the citrus fruit and uh, food and then bring it back in in September. And they'll live for years and years and years. You know, and they're a bit like olives. They, they do well on gnarly, uh, sandy, uh, gravelly type soil. Oh, so, right. you know, the fact that they're kind of gone a bit dry, that that's okay as long as they don't go too dry that you neglect them completely. If anything, they, they tend to better be- benefit, like the herbs, on a little bit of neglect rather than over putting them into too big of pots, right. over watering. And, and, and rich that. soil. And rich soil tends to, yeah, put them off. Okay. Uh, can you cut back white thorn plants with leaves? Well, you can. I mean, it, I, I presume the listener is thinking about maybe some new plants they've put in and that, that are starting to bud. And that applies to all hedging plants. If you're putting in laurels or privet or whatever, whatever you're planting, white thorn or any hedge that you're putting in where you want it to be fill out and bu- be bushy, then you should tip it back at this time of year. So for people that have planted, say, white thorn or uh, even beech, even um, common laurel, it's a good idea just to slightly tip them back. Now, I'm only talking a couple of inches off the top or even off the hedge to an overall height because you're encouraging the plants to start branch branching from day one. Right. They'll start to fill out from day one. The only exception to that would be things like Lelandii or conifers that you want an upright habit. Mm. Obviously, if you take the top off them, you're not going to get the shape that you want. So leave them alone. But for most other hedging plants like Iliagnus, like birch, uh, beech or laurel or whatever, they should be tipped back sides and top now, even if you're only taking an inch off them. Put on some feed like the Pro 6 now and that'll help to end, you'll end up with a far bushier uh, fuller plant rather than leggy growth, growth yeah, that you're going to be cutting back anyway. So tip it all back at this time of year. 
Okay, somebody's got a bank facing west. They have five heathers on it. They're looking for some ideas for summer colour, perhaps a rose that would trail down the banks. Okay, yeah, and, and, and a bank in an area, there's lots of plants that you could use. So roses, you've got the flower carpet roses, which would lend themselves very nicely to this. And they look well when planted in groups of, again, kind of fives or sevens of the one colour. There's, from memory, I think there's five or six different colours available in the flower carpet range, ranging from reds to, to yellows, oranges, whites and so on. So they'd be quite good and plant it now, they'll come into flower this year. But you could also consider some of the ground covering perennial plants. So I'm thinking of things of plants like ground covering geranium, which is um, a lovely outdoor hardy geranium variety, which comes into flower in May and flowers through to late summer. And there's lots of different varieties in those. But again, plant them in uh, clusters to, to form that kind of carpet effect. There's another nice plant called the um, rosemary, which is a, a prostrate rosemary, a ground cover rosemary oh. variety. So it grows flat to the ground. Um, it's quite a nice variety. Like rosemary the Like herb. ordinary rosemary, which grows up in the yeah. air. But this is actually in the same family. It's rosemarinus prostrata. So it grows prostrate to the pro- prostrate. Flat, flat. <laughs> flat to the ground and uh, it's very low growing super plant it's actually coming into flower at the moment and that gives nice colour uh, plants like campanulas would be good which again give good ground cover and will flower for the summer dianthus anything in the dianthus family uh, sun rose the rock roses they're lovely at the moment and will come into flower in May and June as well And so go again to your local garden centre look for the alpine range or the rockery range and they're perennial plants that, that grow flat to the ground but put them in, in clusters of fives or six to create so those five plants then grow as one large plant and give you a spectacular show of colour right. and they'll suit on a on a sloping because the heathers are going go, going out of flower now in a couple of weeks time so it'd be nice to have something coming into flower say from May through till September and there's lots of plants available Thistles in the lawn question mark How to feed them is it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, thistles are, they're part, of course they are. There's there's uh, varieties of low low ground covering uh, thistles that they, the blade of the mower just Don't doesn't hit. Yeah. Now, you can take them out in two ways. There's actually a special tool or device that you can get that you push down beside the thistle. It grabs onto the tap root and you can pull them out. Yeah, because it is quite a long root. It's on a long thistle. root like a parsnip. Yeah. yeah. So so that can be, be effective. The other thing with, with thistles and with weeds and lawns in general is that if you feed the lawn, and get the lawn growing. You get the weeds growing as well. And if you then apply a lawn treatment, um, say in uh, around the middle of May, any of the proprietary lawn treatments will work really well, uh, particularly after feeding the lawn, you'll eliminate the thistles as well. So they are easy enough to get rid of, but you can do them manually if you wish, or you can use a proprietary lawn treatment. Yeah, I I, I, I actually had a few last year and um, I think I did the roundup gel on them well that's exactly you that's now there wasn't that you know there was maybe seven or eight yeah perfect that's a perfect way of doing it so again feed the lawn and then get your little roundup gel and that's perfect for where you want yeah. to spot treat if you have a few dandelions or a few uh, like the thistles as long as you just dab it onto the foliage that'll get eliminate them yeah yeah perfect I, way I, of doing it. there you are yeah but I, they are they, they are on it does work. yeah it does but work. it does work yeah okay one or two more um before we wrap up pork um, somebody has put now this is new for me somebody put 7617 in last year's peat moss 
uh, and they're wondering can they reuse it for their tomatoes? Well look at it's not the best like 7617 is an agricultural fee that oh, you right. normally use when planting potatoes or in the veg garden or whatever so and and moss peat on its own has no nutrient level whatsoever in it it's, it's basically just peat um, mixing the two together isn't going to give you the perfect conditions for tomatoes so my advice is go out and buy a bag of compost Right <laughs> okay because yeah, you might be for the sake of a few quid yeah. go and get yourself a bag of compost the, the danger with the 7617 is that you'll scorch the roots of the tomatoes and also there's no micronutrients in the 7670 so keep that for your spuds and your carrots and your vegetable plants your general use the bigger stuff yeah and get yourself a bag of compost and grow and the best way to grow tomatoes I find is in pots is to get a good big tub maybe a 15 or 20 litre pot make sure there's drainage in it fill it up with a good quality compost uh, put in your plants and then liquid feed with a tomato food every fortnight and you'll get the best results from them because putting all the work into it you want to you want to have the results well you do you do exactly yeah, yeah. so points uh, not no yes, no yeah, for the yeah, sake yeah. of a, for you know you buy a buy compost for a couple of euros and that's the best thing to put them into now will the winter wash be available for roses again wonders kitty um well it, to be honest it's getting a bit if you've pruned your roses and they've come into leaf then it's too late to, to treat them with the winter wash I was advocating the winter wash you know a couple of weeks back yeah. when, when people are initially pruning the roses because it can be used as a good way of sterilising um, but if your roses have broken leaf and they're coming into bud at the moment which they should be then leave the winter wash until the winter period just really uh, continue with the rose clear once they've, they've an inch or an inch and a half of growth you can start with your rose clear trim, treatment or your rose rescue treatment and that'll help to prevent any pests and diseases on them How do you eradicate ground elder in flower beds? Very, very difficult. Um, Bishop Weber, ground elder, is a a spreading plant. It's herbaceous, so it disappears for the winter. We all forget about it until this time of year and starts to come back up. Now, you'll find the Roundup gel very effective on it if it's a small area. So again, allow the the, the ground elder to come forward and if you want put a little bit of fertiliser on it to bring it forward and then about in two or three weeks time dab it with the Roundup gel particularly if it's close to plants and that'll help to eradicate it if you if you can spray it without spraying or, or if you've got shrubs and you can put a polythene bag over the shrub then you can use a treatment called 360 weed free 360 which again you can make up in a sprayer apply it lightly to the foliage of the ground elder and that'll kill it off without damaging the shrub or damaging the soil. So it's one of those, don't dig it out because you'll only propagate it. So you need to use a treatment, um, either the the Roundup gel or the Weed Free 360 to eradicate ground elder. And do get rid of it because it'll continue to spread. It continues to spread and spread and spread. And and digging it only propagates, you're only cutting up the root and spreading it even further. So it's one of those, you, you just need to be persistent with and we'll just have to leave it there I'm afraid for today but busy so remember it's a couple of things we've got the pet farm um, open it's a free pet farm at the moment for children so that's for the next two weeks and Jason and the team are going to be there and there's lots of very interesting animals there so it's worth popping down and as you know we're open seven days in Turlock and and the long care weekend so Mr Osmo is in the garden centre in Turlock that's today isn't it tomorrow yeah from 11 o'clock through till about 4 o'clock today he'll be there and again if people have questions like the thistles or any problems yeah it's not just about moss no no he'll he'll talk to people about sowing new lawns or if they've got uh, particular types of mixes for specific areas he's great he's very good on the kind of technical end of lawn care Okay, great stuff. And if you do have people, well, I'm sure everybody has small people off for Easter now and uh, you're thinking of a little gardening project or a big gardening project, pop in as well. Pop in and we give them some advice on on what to do. And I'll be in the garden centre today so people want to pop down if they have any general gardening questions.
Great, Porik. Uh, thanks very much. We'll talk to you next Saturday. Have a good busy weekend. Uh, thanks indeed for everybody who had uh, questions today. We'll be back again next Saturday. Uh, gardening just after nine, but I'll be here from 7am. All going well. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Stand by Michael Neary coming your way next with Country Classics after the news with Angelina Nugent. Good morning to you.